In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. You're listening to the audiobook of A Hidden Truth by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Narrated by Atif Rashid. About the author. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, was born in 1835 in Qadian, India. From his early life, he dedicated himself to prayer, the study of the Holy Quran and other scriptures. He was deeply pained to observe the plight of Islam which is being attacked from all directions. In order to defend Islam and present its teachings in their pristine purity, he wrote more than 90 books, thousands of letters, and participated in many religious debates. He argued that Islam is a living faith which can lead humanity to the achievement of moral and spiritual perfection by establishing communion with God. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, started experiencing divine dreams, visions and revelations at a young age. In 1889, under divine command, he started accepting initiation into the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He continued to receive divine revelations and was thereafter commanded by God to announce that he was the divinely appointed reformer of the latter days, as prophesied by various religions under different titles. He claimed to be the same promised Messiah and Mahdi whose advent had been prophesied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community is now established in more than 200 countries of the world. After the demise of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, in 1908, the institution of Khilafat or successorship was established to continue his mission in fulfillment of the prophecies made in the Holy Quran and by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, is the fifth successor of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. A Hidden Truth Title Page O God, you who are the source of the light of guidance, do be kind to this Ummah and open the eyes of its people. Cast a glance upon this hidden secret so that the seekers of truth may no longer remain in doubt and suspicion. All praise and gratitude is due to Allah that this treatise, named A Hidden Truth, presents the true and accurate biographical findings on Jesus, peace be upon him, and through various admonishments, sheds light on the true purpose of our prayer duel. Published in Qadian at Ziaul Islam Press, under the supervision of its proprietor, Hakim Fazluddin of Bera, on the 30th of November, 1898. Copies 2100. Announcement The Jalsa, the annual gathering or convention, was always held during the vacation days in December, but this December, due to seasonal illness, members of my household and I, along with many of the maids and servants, are unwell. This shall be a hindrance in the hospitality of the guests. Besides this, there are certain other reasons as well, which if written will only prolong this announcement. Hence, it is announced that no Jalsa will be held this year. All my friends should remain notified of this. Wassalam. Announced by Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. Bismillah rahman rahim In the name of Allah the Gracious, the Merciful. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem. 
we praise him and invoke blessings on his noble messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam verily allah is with those who are righteous and those who do good surah an-nahl chapter 16 verse 129 of the holy quran May his heart not be enamoured by a thing so vile, and consequently destroy his faith for the world. I specifically publish this announcement for my community so that they should await the outcome of the announcement of the 21st of November 1898, published as a prayer duel with respect to Sheikh Muhammad Hussain of Patala, the editor of Ishatul Sunnah, as well as two of his associates. The period for this prayer duel is set to expire on the 15th of January 1900. Furthermore, I say a few words of advice to my community. They ought to tread the path of righteousness and not respond to nonsense in kind, and ought not to be abusive even if they are abused. They will hear much ridicule and derision of the kind they are currently hearing, but they should remain silent and with righteousness and good intent await the decree of God Almighty. If they wish to be worthy of support in the sight of God Almighty, they should not abandon virtue, righteousness and patience. The case file is now before such a court that is impartial towards all and dislikes the ways of insolence. Even a person outside the courtroom is accountable for their evil, but such a one who stands before the court and has committed a crime out of insolence is more severely punishable for his crime. This is why I say to you, fear being in contempt of the court of God Almighty, and adopt gentleness, humility, patience and righteousness. Desire from God Almighty that he may decide between you and your nation. It is better not to meet Sheikh Muhammad Hussain and his associates at all, for such meetings can often result in skirmishes. During this time it is better to avoid any debate or discussion, as they often result in the use of bitter words. Advance in virtuous actions, truthfulness and righteousness, as God does not waste those who embrace righteousness. Behold how Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, who in his time was the most forbearing and righteous of all people, vanquished Pharaoh by the blessing of righteousness. Pharaoh sought to destroy him, but it was before the very eyes of Moses, peace be upon him, that God Almighty destroyed Pharaoh along with all his legions. Then, at the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, the wretched Jews sought to destroy him. Not only that, they wished to blemish his holy soul by an accursed death on the cross. For it is written in the Torah that accursed is the one who is put to death on a tree, i.e. the cross. This meant that the heart of such a person becomes filthy, impure and distanced from God. They become such as are banished from the threshold of God and become the like of Satan. This is why Lain, publisher footnote, literally means the accursed, end of publisher footnote, is the name of Satan. This was a most vicious plan hatched against the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, so that this unworthy nation could establish that the person in question was not pure of heart, being neither a true prophet nor the beloved of God, and instead he was, God forbid, an accursed man of impure heart, and that in accordance with the implication of the word lanut, publisher footnote, literally means curse, end of publisher footnote, 
His heart and soul had become estranged from God and vice versa. But God the powerful, self-subsisting and all-sustaining, disappointed and frustrated the ill-intentioned Jews from this attempt by not only saving his pure prophet, peace be upon him, from death by crucifixion, but also kept him alive for up to 120 years while destroying all the Jews who were his enemies in his very lifetime. In accordance with the ancient practice of God Almighty, however, since every resolute prophet has migrated due to persecution at the hands of their people, Jesus, peace be upon him, also migrated to India in the third year of his ministry after escaping the ordeal of crucifixion. He conveyed the message of God Almighty to those Jewish tribes who at the time of the Diaspora of Babylon had migrated to India, Kashmir and Tibet. Finally, he passed away in the land of Kashmir, a paradise on earth. He was laid to rest with full honour in Mohalla Kanyar, Sirinagar. His grave is very well known. Yozaro Vayota Barra Kobe Publisher footnote It, the grave, is visited and blessing is sought from it. End of publisher footnote Likewise, God Almighty blessed our chief and master, the prophet of the latter days, who was the chief of the righteous, with every kind of success and help. Despite this, in the beginning even he, like Moses and Jesus, was compelled to suffer the pains of migration, but this very migration brought with it the dawn of victory and support. Friends, know for certain that a righteous person is never ruined. When two parties fall to conflict and their disagreement becomes great, support from the heaven descends for the one God Almighty sees as righteous and virtuous. In this way, religious disputes are settled through heavenly decree. Reflect upon the apparently weak state of our chief and master, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when he was commissioned in Makkah. During those days, Abu Jahl and other disbelievers were at the pinnacle of their power. Hundreds of thousands of people had become deadly enemies of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. What then caused our Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to finally emerge victorious and triumphant? Understand clearly that it was his piety, truthfulness, inner purity and honesty. So brothers, tread this path and enter this abode with true vigour. Then soon shall you witness that God Almighty will help you. The God who is hidden from the eyes but shines brighter than anything else and whose majesty even fills the angels with awe, dislikes insolence and cunning, and is merciful to those who fear him. Hence fear him and reflect before speaking each and every word. You are his community whom he has chosen to exhibit goodness. Therefore one who does not shun evil, whose lips do not refrain from falsehood, and whose heart does not abstain from impure thoughts, will be cut asunder from this community. Servants of God, cleanse your hearts and purify your inner selves. You may be able to please people with hypocrisy and duplicity, but shall rouse the wrath of God with such traits. Have mercy on your own souls and save your progeny from ruin. God can never be pleased with you if one more dear than him dwells in your heart. If you wish to behold God in this very world, devote yourself in his way, immerse yourself in him, and become wholly his. What is a miracle? When are extraordinary signs manifested? Understand and remember that reformation of the heart brings about a change in heaven. 
the fire that is ignited with sincerity manifests the heavenly realm in the form of a sign. All believers can generally partake of all types of experiences so much so that they experience ordinary dreams and some even receive revelations. But such a miracle which is accompanied by divine glory and radiance and manifests God is a distinct form of his succour and is shown to augment the honour of those servants who rank among the most devoted to the one true God at a time when they are humiliated in the world, denounced as evil and labelled as liars, impostors, wrongdoers, accursed, antichrists, deceivers and cheats. Efforts are made to destroy them, yet they remain patient as necessary and maintain their composure. But then the jealousy of God Almighty is moved to show a sign in their support. As a result of this, their heart is grieved and their breast is filled with distress. They fall before the threshold of God Almighty, fervently beseeching Him. Their ardent prayers cause a great uproar in heaven. And just as after immense heat, small fragments of clouds begin to appear gathering in the sky, forming layers and eventually burst forth with rain, so too the heart-rendering supplications of the sincere offered at the appropriate time raise the clouds of mercy that eventually descend upon the earth in the form of a sign. In short, when injustice committed against a truthful and holy man reaches extremes, it should be understood that a sign is soon to appear. Publisher footnote, every misfortune these people have suffered by divine command brings in its wake countless treasures of his mercy. End of publisher footnote. Here also I must regrettably write that our opponents do not refrain from their injustice, falsehood and perversity. It is with immense audacity that they reject the words and signs of the glorious God. After my announcement of the 21st of November 1898, which was in response to Sheikh Muhammad Hussain of Patala, Muhammad Bakhsh Zafar Zatali, and Abul Hussain of Tibet, I would have expected them to remain silent, for the announcement clearly stipulated that within the given time frame, i.e. by 15th of January 1900, God would disgrace and humiliate the person who is a liar. This was a very clear criterion to distinguish between the truthful and the liar established by God Almighty through his revelation. These people should have observed silence once this announcement had been published and should have waited until the 15th of January 1900 for the verdict of God Almighty. But alas, they did not. Instead, the aforementioned Zafar Zatali wrote an announcement on the 30th of November 1898 and filled it with the same old filth that is always typical of him and made ample use of falsehood. In this announcement he writes that not even a single prophecy of this person, i.e. my humble self, has been fulfilled. What else shall I say in response to this except Publisher footnote. May the curse of Allah be upon those who lie. End of publisher footnote. He also claims that the prophecy regarding Atham, publisher footnote, Abdullah Atham was a retired civil servant and a prominent Christian polemicist who famously debated with the promised Messiah alayhi salam on the truth of Christianity and Islam. The debate lasted from the 22nd of May to the 5th of June 1893. End of publisher footnote. Has not been fulfilled. My response to this as well is nothing more than la'natullahi alal-qazibin. May the curse of Allah be upon those who lie. The fact of the matter is that when a person's heart is darkened by spite and animosity, though they see, yet they remain blind, and though they hear, yet they remain deaf, a divine seal is set upon their heart, 
and coverings are put upon their ears. Who still remains unaware of the fact that the prophecy regarding Atham was conditional and that the revelation from God had indicated that he would be saved from death within the given time frame, provided he inclined towards the truth? Furthermore, through his actions, words, distress, fearfulness, denial to take oath and refusal to file charges, Atham proved that during the days of the prophecy his heart was no longer set upon Christianity and the greatness of Islam had taken root in it. This was nothing far-fetched, since he was after all a Muslim by descent and had renounced Islam only due to certain interests. He still possessed an inclination towards Islam. This is why he did not fully agree with the Christian belief either and from the outset he thought well of me. Therefore, it is conceivable that he feared this Islamic prophecy. Moreover, he failed to prove himself a Christian by swearing under oath and did not litigate but remained fearful like a thief. Despite vehement instigation by the Christians, he did not agree to proceed with any of the aforementioned reprisals. Can we not conclude from all these actions that he certainly remained fearful of the majesty of this Islamic prophecy? Those given to a life of negligence are frightened even of the prophecies of astrologers, let alone a prophecy made with immense conviction and certainty. Artham turned pale as soon as he heard the prophecy about which I had promised that in case it went unfulfilled I would be liable to receive punishment. Thus how could this prophecy not instill awe into the hearts of those who are blind to religious truth? Furthermore, none of this is conjecture, rather it was Artham himself who revealed his inner restlessness and altered state of belief through his fear, distress and terror. To this, hundreds of people are witness. What further confirmed his changed state was his refusal to take oath and press charges after the time frame had passed. Then in accordance with the divine revelation, he did finally die within six months of the publication of my last announcement. So, do all these facts not sufficiently fill the heart of a fair-minded and God-fearing person with the certainty that Artham remained alive within the term of the prophecy because he benefited from the conditions stipulated in the revelation? But when he concealed his testimony, death overtook him as this too was foretold by divine revelation. Now search for Artham and see if you can find him. Is he alive? Is it not true that he has been dead for many years now? But the one with whom he contested at the residence of Dr. Clark in Amritsar is still alive and present, and is he who now pens this treatise. Those who are bereft of shame and dignity reflect upon how he succumbed to death so soon after concealing his testimony. During his lifetime, I had even gone so far as to write that if I were a liar, I would die before him. Otherwise, it would be I who would see the death of Artham. Hence, if you possess any shame, then look for Artham and see if you can find him. He was close to me in age and was acquainted with me for thirty years. If God had so willed, he could have lived for another thirty years. But why when, in order to assuage the Christians, he concealed the truthfulness of this divine prophecy and his sincere repentance, did he die according to God's revelation? God curses such hearts that reject the truth even after finding it, and since this denial, which mostly sprang from the Christians and some wicked Muslims as well, was manifest, 
transgression in the eyes of God Almighty. He therefore brought disgrace and dishonour upon those who rejected the prophecy by fulfilling another extraordinary one, namely the prophecy regarding the death of Pandit Likram. This prophecy was so extraordinary that five years in advance it foretold the exact day Lekaram was to die and the type of death he was destined to suffer. But regrettably, those who are gripped by malice and are heedless of death failed even to acknowledge this prophecy. God manifested many signs, but they have rejected them all. Now this announcement of the 21st of November 1898 is the final verdict. All those who are sincere seekers of truth should wait patiently for God does not support liars, impostors, or antichrists. The Holy Quran clearly states that God Almighty promises to confer victory upon the believers and messengers. This case now rests in heaven. Wailing on earth will be of no avail. Both parties are before him, and soon it shall be made clear as to who receives his help and succor. Wassalamu ala huda. Publisher footnote. And the conclusion of our prayer is All praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, and peace be upon those who follow the guidance. End of publisher footnote. Humbly announced by Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, 30th of November 1898. Letter of Malvi Abdullah, resident of Kashmir. Published in this announcement for the benefit of the public, along with an illustration of the tome of Jesus, peace be upon him. Humbly submitted by Abdullah to His Holiness, the Promised Messiah, as follows. May the peace, mercy and blessings of Allah be upon you. Your Holiness, as per to your directive, I arrived in Sirinagar at the very location in question, i.e. the blessed tome, of Prince Yuz Asaf, the Prophet of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him. To all possible extent, I undertook a thorough investigation. I made inquiries from the elderly and those advanced in years, and questioned from every possible angle the neighbours and those living in the area's close proximity. Your Holiness, from these investigations, I have learned that this tome is indeed that of the Honourable Yuz Asaf, peace be upon him, the Prophet of Allah. It is situated in a Muslim neighbourhood. No Hindu resides there, nor is any Hindu graveyard situated in this locality. It has been proved by the testimony of reliable people that this tomb has existed for about 1900 years. The Muslims visit this tomb and view it with great reverence and respect. The general view is that buried here is a great prophet who came to Kashmir from another land in order to admonish people. It is said that this prophet lived some 600 years before our prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It is still unclear as to why this prophet came to this land. Author footnote The prophet that lived 600 years before our prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is none other than Jesus, peace be upon him. It is quite conceivable that the word Yasu took on the form of Yuz Asaf, since in English also the word Yasu has become Jesus. The name Yuz Asaf is not very different from Jesus either. This word bears no similarity whatsoever to Sanskrit and clearly appears to be Hebrew. The reason behind Jesus, peace be upon him, coming to this land is obvious. 
when the Jews of Syria did not heed his preaching and sought to kill him by crucifixion, God Almighty, in keeping with his promise and accepting the prayer of the Messiah, delivered him from the cross. As mentioned in the Gospel, the Messiah also desired to convey the message of God Almighty to those Jews who had migrated to the lands of India at the time of the devastation wrought by Nebuchadnezzar. Hence, it was to fulfil this objective that he travelled to Kashmir. A French traveller, Dr. Barnier, wrote in his travelogue that a number of European researchers have strongly opined that the Muslim inhabitants of Kashmir are in fact Israelites who had settled in this land during the time of the Diaspora. Their oblong faces and long shirts, as well as some of their traditions, are a proof of this. Hence, it is very likely that Jesus, peace be upon him, having been disappointed by the Jews of Syria, travelled to this land so as to convey his message to his people. Recently, a Russian traveller who has written a book, one which I have ordered from London, has also agreed with my view that Jesus, peace be upon him, most definitely came to this land. Certain authors have written accounts of the Prophet Yuz Asaf, and translations of these have spread throughout the countries of Europe. Even the Christian clergy are astounded on reading them, for the teachings in these accounts bear a striking similarity to the moral teaching of the Gospel. In fact, most of these passages seem to be almost identical. The same holds true for the Gospel found in Tibet, which bears great similarity to the moral teaching of the Gospel. Thus, these proofs are such that one cannot outright reject them out of prejudice. In fact, they are illumined by a very clear light of truth. There are so many lines of evidence that their collective analysis leads to the conclusion that this is no baseless tale. The fact that Yusasaf resembles a Hebrew name, the fact that Yusasaf is known to be a Nabi or a prophet, which is a term that has been used exclusively for prophets among the Israelites and Muslims, the fact that this prophet is also referred to by the title Prince, the fact that the attributes of this prophet are in complete similarity with the Messiah peace be upon him, the fact that his teachings are remarkably similar to the moral teaching of the Gospel, the fact that he is buried in a Muslim neighbourhood, the fact that his tomb is said to have been standing for as many as 1900 years, the fact that in recent years a Tibetan gospel has been discovered by a European, which clearly proves that Jesus, peace be upon him, came to this land, all when viewed collectively surely lead to the conclusion that Jesus, peace be upon him, did indeed come to this land, and it is here that he passed away. As well as these, there are many other arguments which I will, God willing, present in a regular journal. From the author. End of author footnote. Regardless, these events have been proven. Abundant evidence establishes with utmost certainty that the holy personage whom the Muslims of Kashmir have named Yuz Asaf is a prophet and a prince. He is not known in this country by any Hindu title such as Raja, Avatar, Rishi, Muni, Siddha, etc. Rather, everyone unanimously calls him Nabi. The word Nabi is common between Muslims and the Israelites. In Islam, since no prophet appeared or could appear after our prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Muslims of Kashmir generally agree that this prophet is pre-Islamic. However, in spite of the fact that the word Nabi is common only between the prophets of two nations, i.e. the prophets of the Muslims and the children of Israel, and that in Islam no other prophet can come after the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, 
they still have not come to realize that Yusuf must be none other than an Israelite prophet. Since no other language uses this term for a prophet, it is without a doubt essential that this commonality remains restricted to these two languages and nations. Author footnote The word Nabi is specific only to two languages and no other language of the world has employed this usage. That is to say, the word Nabi is used in Hebrew and also in Arabic. Apart from these two, all the other languages of the world have no association with this word. Therefore, the use of this word for Yusuf indicates like the gravestone that either this individual is an Israelite prophet or a prophet of Islam. But due to Khatme Nabuat, no other prophet could appear in Islam. Therefore, this establishes that the man in question is an Israelite prophet. Now when reflecting upon the time period that is reported, it may be conclusively determined that this personage is Jesus, peace be upon him, for it was he who was called Prince. Author End of author footnote However, in view of Khatme Nabuat, publisher footnote, the seal of prophethood, end of publisher footnote, this does not apply to the Muslim nation which clearly establishes that this prophet is an Israelite prophet. Moreover, the overwhelming historical evidence which proves that this prophet appeared 600 years before our prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, further corroborates the initial argument and draws in discerning hearts with ever-increasing force to believe that this prophet is none other than the Messiah, peace be upon him. For he alone is the Israelite prophet who appeared 600 years before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Furthermore, this evidence sheds further light on the matter when we reflect upon the consistent historical tradition that the prophet is also called a prince. For during the period in question, no other prophet besides Jesus, peace be upon him, has ever come to be renowned as a prince. Then the name Yusuf bears a strong similarity to the word Yasu. Publisher footnote, Jesus Christ the Messiah, end of publisher footnote, which further reinforces these well-established facts. Moreover, upon visiting the site, further evidence also emerges. It is clear in the attached diagram that the tome of this prophet sits in a north-south orientation. It seems as if the head faces the north and the feet to the south. This style of burial is specific to the Muslims and the people of the book. Another proof which lends further support is that next to this grave is a closely situated mountain known as the Mount of Solomon. It can be deduced from this name that some Israelite prophet must have come to this region. Author footnote It is not necessary that here Solomon refers to the prophet Solomon, rather it seems that this was some Israelite leader after whom the mountain is named. The name of this leader may have been Solomon. It is the hitherto practice of the Jews that they adopt the names of the prophets. In short, this name too is proof that a Jewish tribe travelled to Kashmir for whom Jesus was but compelled to migrate to Kashmir. Author End of author footnote It is extremely ignorant to declare this prophet prince to be a Hindu. This error is so blatant that in light of these perfect proofs no refutation is even required. The word Nabi does not appear anywhere in Sanskrit, rather this word is specific to Hebrew and Arabic. Besides, burial is not a Hindu custom. 
the Hindus cremate their dead. Thus the grave itself establishes with absolute certainty that this prophet is an Israelite. The west side of the shrine has an opening from which people have reported to smell an extremely pleasant fragrance. The opening is reasonably wide and intrudes into the shrine. This leads some to conclude that the opening was left there with some noteworthy objective in mind. Perhaps the chamber contains certain artefacts. The public says that it contains a treasure, but this notion does not seem credible. However, since such openings in graves are not a traditional practice in any country, it can be inferred from this that the opening in question is a great mystery. The fact that this opening has existed for centuries is even stranger. The Shiites of the city also say that this is the grave of a prophet who had come from some country as a traveller and was known by the title Prince. They also showed me a book entitled Ainul Hayat. Many tales are written in this book which make reference to page 119 of Ibn Babwe and the book Iqmaluddin wa Itmam un But all these tales are senseless and absurd. The book does contain truth inasmuch that the author accepts that this prophet was a traveller and a prince who came to Kashmir. The location of the shrine of this prophet prince is that when entering the Rozabal from the street on the right of the central mosque, this holy shrine will be found straight ahead. There is a road running behind the wall to the left of the tome. To its right is an old mosque. It seems that in some earlier time a mosque was built in close proximity to the holy tome for the sake of blessings and next to this mosque there are Muslim households. There is no sign of people belonging to any other nation in this vicinity. In the right-hand corner of this tome of Allah's Prophet, close to the grave, is a stone slab which bears the footprints of a man. It is said that these are the footprints of a messenger. The footprints of this Prophet Prince have probably lasted as a sign. There are two things which shed light on the mystery surrounding this grave. Firstly, the opening into the shrine. Secondly, the footprints engraved onto the stone slab. The remaining design of this tome can be seen on the diagram overleaf. End. This is the tome of Isa, peace be upon him, who is known by the names Yasu, Jesus and Yuz Asaf. According to the testimony of the elders of Kashmir, the tome has existed in Mohalla Kanyar, Sirinagar for nearly 1900 years. And here the promised Messiah Islam has attached a diagram of the tome and the area around it. To the east there's a tree and a graveyard. To the north is the old graveyard. To the south there are homes and a mud wall and a street and a butcher shop and a vegetable store and a veranda of a tome. To the west is an old mosque and other houses and the entrance towards the old mosque. And also the opening which previously emitted fragrance and also on the south side, there's a market street leading towards Ganyar Tome. Then on the south side, there's a terrace and a covered porch. And there's a roofed area for circumambulation and a wooden enclosure. And inside the actual room, there is the footprints of the Prophet on the top left. And then there's the grave of the Prophet Yusuf beneath that. And then next to the grave of the Prophet on the right side is the grave of Sayyid Nasiruddin 
and it's a roofed wooden enclosure. And also attached is the original facsimile of the site plan given by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, as it appears in Rohani Khazain, volume 14, Razi Hakikat, page 171, Islam International Publications, 2009 edition. Epilogue by the grace and mercy of God Almighty, in order to humiliate our opponents and establish the truthfulness of this author, it has been proven without a shadow of doubt that the grave of Yusuf, situated in Mohalla Kanyar, Sirinagar, is in actuality the grave of Jesus, peace be upon him. The ointment of Jesus, mentioned in more than a thousand books of medicine, constitutes the foremost evidence that the Messiah, peace be upon him, was delivered from crucifixion and did not die on the cross. Setting forth the detail of this ointment, physicians have openly affirmed that this ointment is prepared for injuries caused by falls and all other sorts of wounds. It was prepared for the wounds of Jesus, peace be upon him, namely the wounds he sustained to his hands and feet. To prove the credibility of this ointment, I am in the possession of certain handwritten manuscripts which date back approximately 700 years. These physicians are not only Muslims but also include Christians, Jews and Zoroastrians, whose books are present to this day. The library of the Roman Caesar also had a copy of a pharmacopoeia written in the Roman language. Most of these books had already been published throughout the world within the first two centuries after the crucifixion. Hence, as I stated earlier, the basis for the view that the Messiah did not die on the cross was first provided by the Gospels themselves. And later, in keeping with academic inquiry, the ointment of Jesus brought this proof to light. Moreover, the Gospel that has been recently discovered in Tibet has given clear testimony that Jesus Islam surely came to the land of India. More recently, many other books have shed light on this event as well. On page 82 of the Rikh-e-Kashmir Azami, written approximately 200 years ago, it is recorded, The second grave near the tomb of Sayyid Nasiruddin is generally thought to be of a messenger. Then on the same page this historian writes, A prince arrived in Kashmir from some other land. He was a paragon of piety, righteousness, devotion and worship. God appointed him as a prophet after which he travelled to Kashmir and engaged himself in preaching to the Kashmiris. His name was Yuz Asaf, many a recipient of true visions from God, and in particular Mullah Inayatullah, who is the spiritual guide of this author, have said that this grave omits the blessings of prophethood. This passage is in the Persian Tariqe Azami, which has been translated above. The Muhammadan Anglo-Oriental College magazine published a review of the book Shahzada Yuz Asaf, written by Mirza Safdar Ali, a surgeon in the army of the government of Nizam. In their September 1896 and October 1896 issues, they write, The clergy have somewhat interpolated the narrative relating to the famous story of Yuz Asaf that has become greatly renowned in both Asia and Europe. That is to say, in the biography of Yusuf, where striking similarities are found to exist with the teachings and character of the Messiah, the clergy have perhaps added these writings of their own accord. However, this view is quite naive. The clergy have only come to find the biographies of Yusuf after they had already become widespread all throughout India and Kashmir. 
These biographies are alluded to in the ancient manuscripts of this country, manuscripts which survive even to this day. Then what room was left for the clergy to interpolate these texts? The view of the clergy that perhaps the disciples of the Messiah visited this land and these biographical writings referring to Yusuf are actually their biographies is also evidently false. In fact, I have already proved that Yusuf is the name of Yasu. Publisher footnote: Jesus Christ the Messiah. End of publisher footnote. Which has taken on a different form due to linguistic variations. Even today, as written earlier, some among the Kashmiris still refer to Yusuf as Isa Sahib. Publisher footnote: Isa is the Arabic form of the name Jesus, and Sahib is used as a title of respect similar to the English terms such as Mister, Honorable, or Revered. End of publisher footnote. Wassalamu ala manittaba al huda. And peace be on those who follow the guidance. Appendix to announcement on first page, 30th of November 1898. Instant disgrace. Publish a footnote. Impudent one, seek not the humiliation of the truthful. For this course of action is bound to lead you to a very undesirable end. End of publisher footnote. Sheikh Muhammad Hussain of Badala has proclaimed repeatedly that in order to distinguish between the one who is truthful and the one who is a liar, he desires a prayer duel. For in the faith of Islam this practice is supported by the Sunnah. However, along with this, he further proposes, If I am proved to be a liar, then immediate punishment should befall me. In response to this, in my announcement of the 21st of November 1898, I have written in detail that in a prayer duel it is against tradition to receive a swift punishment. Even now the words Lama Halal Hawulo can still be found in the Hadith. Publish a footnote. The Arabic text means a year would not have elapsed. End of publish a footnote. Where the Messenger of God, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that the Christians of Najran, out of fear, retreated from engaging in a prayer duel, but if they had taken up such a contest, they would have perished before the year had passed. Thus, in this hadith, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has himself declared a period of up to one year as a condition for a prayer duel. Thus, until the day of resurrection, the practice which accords with the Sunnah is that Muslims are to honour the words of this Hadith and set a period of no less than one year for a prayer duel. In fact, the men of God and those who have recognised the truth and who are themselves the signs of Allah on earth by being forever heirs to the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are also blessed with this miracle. If a Christian who believes in the divinity of Jesus on whom be peace, Author footnote, it is proven from the gospel that the blessing of showing a sign was present in the Christian faith during the time of the Messiah. Rather, to display a sign was the hallmark of a true Christian. However, since the Christians have deified a human and rejected a true prophet, they have gradually become bereft of all these blessings, and like all other lifeless religions, 
their religion also has perished. That is why no Christian can stand in opposition to me to show a heavenly sign. End of author footnote. Or any other polytheist who holds another human being as God engages in a prayer duel with them regarding this issue, then within the aforementioned time frame, or within a period made known to the recipient of divine revelation through a clear indication, in order to establish his own dominance and to support the truth, God Almighty shows a heavenly sign to those who oppose his beloved. These are everlasting signs in support of the truth of Islam, which cannot be paralleled by any nation. Therefore, the time frame for one year for prophecies that contain a warning is a minimum period and is proven through clear scriptural evidence. Only one who is oblivious to the knowledge of Hadith can obstinately insist upon immediate punishment. Such a person blemishes the excellence of Muslim divines. In order to assist Batalvi Saab in understanding, I had also written that in a prayer duel, a prayer is not made by one party alone, rather both parties invoke a curse upon the other. Hence, if one party calls itself believers and Muslims, and excludes the other from Islam by declaring them disbelievers, antichrists, irreligious, accursed and apostates, the way Mr. Muhammad Hussain of Batala does, then who has stopped him from praying for a swift punishment? The recipient of divine revelation, however, cannot be subject to the will of Muhammad Hussain, rather he will follow the revelation of God Almighty. My announcement that was published on the 21st of November 1898 in the form of a prayer duel against Sheikh Muhammad Hussain and two of his close companions is only a prayer, the purpose of which is merely for God Almighty to abase the one who is a liar. The purpose is not for the liar to die or for him to fall from a building. Since Muhammad Hussain, Jafar Zatali and Abul Hassan of Tibet have sought to disgrace me through falsehood, cursing and abuse, I have only desired from God Almighty that if I am truly worthy of disgrace and am a liar, an antichrist and accursed, as Muhammad Hussain suggests by filling his magazines with abuse and by repeatedly injuring my heart, then I should face further humiliation and God Almighty should bestow honour upon Sheikh Muhammad Hussain and grant him lofty ranks. However, if I am not a liar, an antichrist, nor accursed, then I beseech the one true God to disgrace those who have sought to denigrate me, namely Muhammad Hussain, Jafar Zatali and Abul Hassan of Tibet. Thus I desire for God Almighty to humiliate the one who is unjust and a liar, be it either one of us. And to this I say, Amin. It has been revealed to me that from among the two parties, the one that is indeed unjust and a liar in the sight of God Almighty shall be humiliated by him. And this will happen no later than the 15th of January, 1900. God Almighty knows best who in his sight is unjust and a liar. If within this period I am humiliated, then without doubt it shall be proved that I am a liar, unjust and an antichrist, and in this way the daily dispute of our people will cease to exist. However, if Sheikh Muhammad Hussain, Jafar Zatali and Abul Hassan suffer any dishonour from heaven, this shall serve as conclusive proof that they were unjust in abusing me and calling me an antichrist, accursed and a liar. Sheikh Mohammed Hussain has raised an objection against an Arabic revelation of mine in my announcement of the 21st of November 1898. The phrase is, Ata'jabu le Amri, publisher translation, 
Do you wonder at my command? End of publisher footnote. And in doing so, he has himself opened the door to his own humiliation. In other words, he has fulfilled his own desire for instant disgrace. In fact, the time for swift dishonour was to start from the 15th of December 1898. But he has fallen into utter disgrace even earlier, which ought not to be called swift, but rather humiliation in advance. How so? Upon reading the above revelation at some occasion, the aforementioned Sheikh raised an objection in the presence of Sheikh Ghulam Mustafa, a resident of this city, and stated that the phrase in the revelation, Da'jobole Amri, mentioned in the announcement contains an error in syntax, whereas the word of God cannot be with flaw. It should thus be Ta'jabo Min Amri. This is the objection that has brought instant humiliation upon the Sheikh. For as I have proved with reference to the renowned poets of Arabia and even from the works of the most distinguished poets of the Jahiliya, the connective particle Lam can be used with Ajiba. Now it is clearly evident that by raising an invalid objection which is proof of the Sheikh's utter lack of knowledge and ignorance, he has with his own hands completely exposed himself before the learned and proved to every friend and foe that he is a Molvi only in name and is bereft of the knowledge of Arabic. There can be no greater humiliation for a person who calls himself a Molvi than to be bereft of the qualities of true religious divines. What a shame that he is hitherto unaware that the verb Ajiba is at times followed by the preposition min and at times by lam. Even a child who has studied up to Hedayatun Nav knows that like min, the preposition lam is accepted usage in the view of experts in syntax. Therefore, in support of this usage, one couplet that is cited is as follows. Ajib tole mauludin lehu ab. Publisher translation, I am amazed at this child who has no father, and also at the father who has no parents. End of publisher footnote. Here the poet has used both the prepositions lum and min. On pages 19, 390, 411, 475 and 511, of Dewane Hamasa, which is part of the curriculum at state colleges and the eloquence and rhetoric of which is established and accepted, there are five couplets of Jafar bin Ulba and other distinguished poets of Arabia who have used the preposition lam with ajiba. They are as follows. Publisher Translation Indeed, I was amazed at how my beloved reached me at dusk, whereas the prison door was locked. I am shocked at how the people seek to drive a wedge between my beloved and I. No sooner had our relationship ended than they all became peaceful. O oh, Azar, my beloved, it amazes me how I have rescued myself from the pangs of your love, whereas I had long ailed in the same love. Indeed, it amazes me how certain ignoble ones, out of their own foolishness, have sought to lampoon me, because now morning and afternoon they have begun to consume the meat of their sheep, 
i.e. have grown from poverty to affluence. There have been many shocking incidents, but I am astonished at how Ahmad scorns me as the times have changed and as I have become poor. End of publisher translation. More importantly, even in the Hadith in Mishkat, Kitabul Iman, on page 3, where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has elaborated the meaning of Islam and which is a narration transmitted by both Bukhari and Muslim, Lam has been used as a particle for the word Ajib. The words of the Hadith are Ajibna lahu yas'aluhu wa yusaddikuh Publisher footnote We were surprised at his first posing a question to him and then affirming that he had spoken the truth. End of publisher footnote. Here, min has not been used as the particle for ajab, rather the preposition lam has been used. Here, ajabna lahu has been stated, not ajabna minhu. Now, Badalvi Saab ought to explain whether in the sight of the learned, this is humiliation for a person who is known as a Molvi. Indeed, what else could this possibly be termed? Moreover, he ought to also give the edict as to whether this humiliation ought to be referred to as instant disgrace, or should some other name be given? The spiteful sheikh, in his intense malice, has in an instant made himself a personification of the following couplet. Publisher footnote Though your eyes were set on me, you have now become ensnared in your own trap. Broaden your vision, for as yet you are inexperienced. End of publisher footnote. It ought to be noted that in seeking my humiliation, Muhammad Hussain has brought disgrace upon himself. Can a fair-minded person refer to such an individual with the title Molvi who is unaware of even the very first hadith of Mishkat Sharif and who does not know the words of the hadith that is fundamental in understanding Islam and is completely oblivious to a fact which is explicitly mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim even though the hairs in his beard have turned grey? Worthy of compassion indeed is such an individual whose state of knowledge in Arabic and the Hadith is such that he is uninformed of the words contained in the very first Hadith of Mishkat. His humiliation cannot be hidden away despite the best of efforts. Without a doubt this humiliation of his is instant disgrace that has been manifested as a sign in accordance with his own demand. He himself had asked for immediate humiliation and that is exactly what God gave him. I have already stated that this revelation has nothing to do with anyone's death or their sustaining any physical harm. It is only to manifest the humiliation of the fabricator. So before God Almighty shows any other extraordinary sign to manifest humiliation, this dishonor is no less than a strike by the hand of God upon the liar. In truth, the revelation, Amri, publisher translation, Do you wonder at my command? End of publisher translation, contained a subtle point. This revelation held a hidden prophecy for Muhammad Hussain. It hinted that he would object to the phrase Amri. Publisher footnote, do you wonder at my command? End of publisher footnote. The revelation means, O Muhammad Hussain, are you surprised at the word le amri? Publisher translation, at my command. End of publisher translation. And do you hold this revelation of mine to be incorrect, declaring min to be the preposition that ought to be used? Behold, I shall demonstrate to you that I am with my beloved, and I shall disgrace you. Consequently, this very humiliation has been manifested. 
However, the matter does not end here, for Muhammad Hussain and his associates would readily accept this humiliation like a sweetened pill. This is why the disgrace prepared in heaven for the one who is a liar and unjust is greater than this. God has revealed to me, Publisher translation, The recompense of evil is a penalty in proportion thereto. End of publisher translation. Hence, if I have been unjustly defamed, then I await that sign of God, which shall utterly disgrace the one who is a liar, unjust, an impostor, and an antichrist. And if all this is characteristic of me, then it is I who shall be humiliated. Otherwise, of the two parties, the one that is unjust and a liar will taste the bitterness of disgrace. In addition to being exposed academically, Muhammad Hassan and his party have also suffered swift disgrace on another front. Based on authentic and conclusive facts, it has been proven that Jesus, peace be upon him, neither died on the cross nor ascended to heaven, but he survived the conspiracy of the Jews to murder him and migrated to India where he finally died at the age of 120 in Srinagar, Kashmir. Indeed, this is unbearable grief and unending disgrace for Muhammad Hussain and others. Author Footnote number 1 It is proven from an authentic hadith that Jesus, peace be upon him, lived to 120 years. However, all the Jews and Christians agree that the ordeal of the crucifixion took place when the aforementioned honourable man was only 33 years old. From this argument, it is clear that by the grace of the Almighty, Jesus, peace be upon him, was delivered from the cross and spent the rest of his life travelling. Authentic hadiths also provide evidence that Jesus, peace be upon him, was a prophet who travelled extensively. So, if during the incident of crucifixion he had physically ascended to heaven, then when did these travels take place? Moreover, the etymology of the word Messiah, or Messiah, as described by lexicographers, is that it has been derived from Mushun, which means travelling. Besides, the belief that God raised Jesus to the second heaven in order to save him from the Jews seems to be an absolutely absurd notion. For such an act of God would be no argument against the Jews. The Jews neither saw him ascending to heaven nor to this day have they witnessed his descent. How then could they believe in such a nonsensical and baseless tale? Furthermore, another thing to reflect upon is that when the Quraysh, who were far more bold, militant and vengeful than the Jews, attacked the noble messenger of God Almighty, our chief Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God saved him in the refuge of a mere cave, situated no more than three miles from the holy city of Makkah. Then was God Almighty so fearful of the cowardly Jews, God forbid, that to rid his fear of their oppression, he had no choice but to raise Jesus to the second heaven? In fact, this tale is nothing but a work of fiction and is in clear contradiction with the Holy Quran and proved false by truly compelling arguments. I have stated before that in order to ascertain the real truth about the crucifixion, the ointment of Jesus is an academic means of inquiry and a most excellent criterion for recognizing the truth. The reason I am fully aware of this information is because I belong to a family that has practiced medicine. My late father, Mirza Ghulam Murtaza, a respectable chief of this district, was a most reputable and experienced physician. He spent almost 60 years of his life gaining experience in this field and insofar as possible collected a large corpus of books on medicine. I myself have studied books on medicine and have always consulted them. Therefore, based on my personal experience, I can state that the ointment of Jesus is mentioned in more than a thousand books. They also mentioned that this ointment was prepared for Jesus. Some of these books are by the Jews, others by the Christians, and some by the Zoroastrians. 
Hence, this academic research proves that Jesus, peace be upon him, was surely delivered from the cross. If the evangelists have written to the contrary, then their testimony is not the least bit reliable. Firstly, they were not present at the crucifixion, and they had all fled betraying their master. Secondly, the Gospels themselves are replete with contradictions, to such an extent that the Gospel of Barnabas rejects that the Messiah was even crucified. Thirdly, the same Gospels that are considered highly authentic also state that the Messiah, peace be upon him, met his disciples after the crucifixion and showed them his wounds. Therefore, it is ascertained from this account that wounds had been sustained at the time, for which the preparation of an ointment was needed. Hence, it can surely be inferred that this ointment was prepared on this occasion. The Gospels also prove that Jesus, peace be upon him, secretly stayed within the environs of his town for forty days, and only began his journey after he had fully recovered through the use of this ointment. Regrettably, a physician has issued an announcement from Rawalpindi in which he denies that the prescription of the ointment of Jesus is found in the books of various nations. It seems that he grew extremely apprehensive upon hearing that Jesus, peace be upon him, did not die on the cross but remained alive and escaped with wounds alone. He realized that this falsified the entire concept of atonement. However, it would be shameful to deny the existence of such books that contain the prescription of the ointment of Jesus. If he is a seeker of truth, then he may pay a visit to me and see the books for himself. The academic evidence of the ointment of Jesus refutes the doctrines of Christianity and demolishes at once the entire edifice of atonement and trinity, etc. Though this is not the only predicament that the Christians face. In fact, further evidence has also recently emerged in support of this proof. Research categorically proves that the Messiah, peace be upon him, definitely travelled to India after being saved from crucifixion. Passing through Nepal, he eventually reached Tibet. Thereafter, he stayed in Kashmir for a considerable period of time where he imparted guidance to the children of Israel who had, at the time of the Diaspora, left Babylonia and settled in Kashmir. Finally, at the age of 120, he passed away in Srinagar and was buried in Mohalla Kanyar, but due to general mispronunciation, became known by the name Yuz Asaf Nabi. Author footnote an unwise Muslim has put forth of his own accord the preposition that Yuzasaf may perhaps refer to Asif's wife, Asif who was a minister of Solomon. However, did this ignorant man not realise that the wife of Asif was not a prophet, nor can she be called a prince, as both these titles are masculine? Even if she possessed these attributes, the feminine word prophetess and princess would have been used instead of prophet and prince. This simple-minded man has also failed to realise that the period of 1900 is in exact accordance with the time of Jesus, for Solomon lived quite a few centuries before Jesus. Apart from this, some people declare the grave of the prophet situated in Sirinagar to be that of Yuzasaf, but a majority of people declare it to be the grave of Jesus, peace be upon him. Initially, when our sincere friend Malvi Abdullah of Kashmir began an investigation into this tomb in Srinagar, some people upon hearing the name Yuzasaf stated that this grave was better known to them as the grave of Isa Sahib or Jesus. Therefore, many who live in Srinagar to this very day have given testimony as such. Anyone who is in doubt may travel to Kashmir and inquire themselves from many hundreds of thousands of people. Now after this, it is shameful to persist in denial. End of footnote. This incident is corroborated by the gospel that has recently been discovered in Tibet. With great effort, this gospel has been found in London. 
Our sincere friend Sheikh Rahmatullah, the trader, stayed in London for approximately three months in search of this gospel and finally found it. This gospel apparently forms a part of an ancient Buddhist text. Buddhist literature provides testimony that Jesus, peace be upon him, came to India and for quite some time preached to various peoples. The reason put forth by Buddhist texts for Jesus coming to these lands is not as the Lamas have suggested, in that Jesus found the teaching of Gautama Buddha beneficial, to say so is mischief. In actual fact, when God Almighty delivered Jesus peace be upon him from the ordeal of the cross, he deemed it unwise to remain in that country any longer. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, migrated from his country when persecution at the hands of the Quraysh reached its height and they had resolved to murder him, so too Jesus, peace be upon him, migrated when persecution at the hands of the Jews reached its pinnacle and they too had decided to kill him. With the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, the children of Israel were divided and dispersed to countries like India, Kashmir, Tibet and China. Therefore the Messiah, peace be upon him, considered it necessary to migrate to these lands. It is also ascertained through historical accounts that some Jews who had travelled to this land had also accepted Buddhism for such was their age-old practice. In an article published recently in the Civil and Military Gazette, issue dated 23rd of November 1898, an English researcher has also acknowledged and accepted that certain Jewish denominations did indeed migrate to this land and permanently settled here. In this same issue of the Civil, it is stated that, in fact, the Afghans are also from among the children of Israel. Hence, when a number of the Israelites had entered into Buddhism, it was necessary for Jesus, peace be upon him, to come to this land and focus on refuting Buddhism and meeting with its religious leaders. Thus, this is exactly what came to pass. It was due to this reason that the biography of Jesus, peace be upon him, has been recorded in Buddhist tradition. It seems as if, at the time, Buddhism was strongly prevalent in Islam and the religion of the Vedas was dead and that Buddhism denied the Vedas. Author footnote, not only do certain books of the Buddhist religion mention that Jesus peace be upon him came to India and Tibet, but I have also come to know from reliable sources that the ancient scriptures of Kashmir also similarly mention him. Author, end of author footnote. In short, after collating all these facts, it may be concluded with certainty that Jesus peace be upon him did surely visit this land. It is a conclusive and well-established fact that books of the Buddhist religion allude to his visiting this land. The tome of Jesus, peace be upon him, in Kashmir is said to have existed for approximately 1900 years. This is also a most excellent proof in this context. There are probably inscriptions in the tome that are now hidden. To investigate all these matters further, a group is being prepared from our community for academic research. The leader appointed over this group is Brother Molvi Hakim Haji Eharaman Nuruddin. May his Lord grant him protection. Publisher footnote Haji Eharaman, one who has made pilgrimage to Mecca and visited the blessed home of the Holy Prophet in Medina. End of publisher footnote. For the purpose of research and investigation, this delegation shall travel to different lands. The task of these devoutly religious men will be to review books in the Pali language as well, for it has also come to light that the Messiah, peace be upon him, also travelled to that land in which this language is prevalent, in his quest for the lost sheep. In any case, the foremost duty of the delegation shall be to travel to Kashmir and Tibet in search of evidence from Buddhist scriptures. 
brother Sheikh Rahmatullah, the trader from Lahore, has agreed to take upon himself all the relevant expenses. However, if the journey extends, as is expected, to places like Banaras, Nepal, Madras, Swat, Kashmir and Tibet, etc., where the Messiah, peace be upon him, is reported to have stayed, then this will invariably be an undertaking of heavy expenditure. Nevertheless, it is hoped that Allah the Exalted will grant it success. Any wise person can understand that this proof demolishes the entire edifice of Christianity at once, and an undertaking of 1900 years perishes in an instant. It is certain that the Messiah, peace be upon him, did in fact visit the land of India and Kashmir, etc. The evidence that has been discovered in this regard is so compelling that no opponent can contrive to conceal it. It seems as if these absurd and false doctrines were to last only until this age. Our chief and master, the seal of the Prophet's peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that the promised Messiah, who was to appear, would break the cross and slay the Antichrist with heavenly onslaughts. The meaning of this hadith has now become clear in that during the time of the Messiah, the Lord of heaven and earth would himself give rise to certain factors and events as would cause the doctrines of crucifixion, trinity and atonement to perish on their own. The descent of the Messiah from heaven too is to be understood in this light. In other words, at the time of his second advent, in accordance with the will of the Lord of heaven, clear testimony to break the cross would come to light. Thus has it occurred. Who could have known that the prescription known as the ointment of Jesus would present itself written in hundreds of books of medicine? Who could have known that the ancient scriptures of Buddhism would furnish evidence that Jesus, peace be upon him, travelled to India, Kashmir and Tibet after losing hope in the Jews of Syria? Author footnote, recently certain ancient books written by Muslims have also been discovered which clearly state that Yusuf Saf was a messenger who migrated from another land and was also a prince who passed away in Kashmir. It is also stated that he came 600 years before our Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. End of author footnote. Who knew that the grave of Jesus, peace be upon him, was in Kashmir? Was it within the power of man to fabricate all this evidence of his own accord? These developments do away with Christianity as the dawn of day dispels the night. When such evidence is proven credible, Christianity collapses as does a roof when its sole supporting pillar crumbles. Similarly, evidence of this occurrence, if proven credible, puts an end to the Christian faith. God does as he pleases. He has been recognized through these very powers, Observe how wonderful the following verse has proved true. Publisher footnote. They slew him not, nor crucified him, but he was made to appear to them like one crucified. Surah Nisa, chapter 4, verse 158 of the Holy Quran. End of publisher footnote. In other words, it is completely false that the Messiah was killed or crucified. The fact of the matter is that these people have erred and the Messiah escaped crucifixion in accordance with the promise of God Almighty. The Gospel too, when read carefully, testifies to the same effect. Could the Messiah's fervent supplications of the entire night be rejected? Can the statement of the Messiah that he would remain in the tomb for three days like Jonah imply that he lay there dead? Was Jonah dead while he remained in the belly of the fish for three days? Can we not infer from the dream of Pilate's wife 
that the will of God was to save the Messiah from crucifixion. Similarly, the Messiah was put on the cross at the latest possible time on a Friday and was then taken down before evening. He did not remain on the cross for up to three days, nor were his bones broken as was the age-old practice. Blood gushed forth from his side when it was pierced. Do all the aforementioned facts not clearly demonstrate that these were means brought about to save the life of the Messiah? Further, these means of mercy became manifest as soon as the prayer was made. How could the prayer of a beloved of God who spends the entire night weeping in supplication ever be rejected? Moreover, the Messiah's meeting the disciples and showing them his wounds after the crucifixion constitutes a very powerful argument that he did not die on the cross. If this is incorrect, then ask the Messiah to come now and meet you as he met the disciples. In short, it stands proven from every aspect that the Messiah's life was saved from death on the cross and that he came to the land of India because ten tribes of the children of Israel had moved to these very lands and ultimately became Muslims. After accepting Islam, many of them became kings as well, as was promised in the Torah. This is an argument in favour of the truthfulness of the prophethood of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, for the Torah contained the promise that the children of Israel would attain rule and sovereignty after becoming followers of the promised prophet. The notion that the Messiah, son of Mary, died on the cross is the basis on which all the fundamental doctrines of Christianity, such as the Atonement and Trinity, etc., are based. It is this concept which has permeated the hearts of 400 million Christians. If the falsity of this view is proven, nothing remains of Christianity. Any Christian sect possessing a passion for religious investigation would perhaps bid farewell to the Christian faith in no time after being informed of these evidences. Further, if the flames of this investigation were ignited in the hearts of the European people, a community of 400 million that has formed over a period of 1900 years would perhaps within 19 months see a change of heart by the unseen hand of God and become Muslim. If it is proved, contrary to belief in the crucifixion, that the Messiah did not die on the cross but rather travelled to other lands, then this instantly banishes Christian doctrines from the hearts of people and causes a great revolution in the Christian world. My dear ones, it is time you bade farewell to the Christian faith for God has manifested the truth. Come into the light of Islam so that you may attain salvation. God the All-Knowing is aware that I, in good faith, have delivered all this advice after thorough investigation. The Author the blurb of a hidden truth. The life of one man has perhaps never been the centre of such passionate debate as with the case of Jesus the Messiah, peace be upon him. While some consider him an impostor, others believe he appeared as the saviour who would atone for the sins of mankind, while still others believe he was saved from being hung on the cross by ascending into the heavens physically. In this book, with compelling testimony, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, presents the true and accurate biographical findings on the life of Jesus. He argues with conclusive historical evidence that Jesus survived the crucifixion and travelled to Kashmir, India, where he died at the ripe age of 120. Toward the end of this treatise, the author also sheds light on a prophecy regarding Muhammad Hussain of Batala and the purpose of a prayer duel with the same. The End <laughs>